right. It is Sunday, uh, the 25th of April, 2021, at exactly 1.14 p.m. Um, this is the MoFo Podcast. I'm your host, Moise Batiste, where we are for the first uh, segment. Um, uh, I'm connected with my teammates, my brothers on the football field. Um and I know society have seen movies and, and, and their stories told, but um, it is a special place and um, it's a special experience for us. And, and there's a reason why so many movies are made about football in, in, in the locker room and team sports, because, you know, we learn so much about life and from each other. So I told y'all I'm bringing y'all special guests. You know, we starting off with the Robert Morris uh, University series called Memories from Moon. And I'm trying to bring you all uh, the who's who and the, the 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 guys who helped shape the program. And I got another very very special guest. Uh, uh, yeah, let me start off with uh, first team All American 1997, first team All Conference 1997. Um, he's coached uh, special teams in 2008, uh, offensive line coach 99 and 2000. Uh, when we won a national championship, well, they ran won a national championship in 99. I was part of 2000. I was the D-line uh, 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 graduate assistant coach. He was the offensive line graduate assistant coach. We go back and forth of who had it the hardest. It's safe to say that uh, uh, defensive GAs absolutely had it the hardest. Uh, 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 and uh, this guy is a quintessential leader of the 96-97 um, team. Um he was definitely one of the guys that, you know, when guys want to do something, he was one of those people that you had to go ask permission from. Uh, uh, and so uh, one of the definitely the leaders uh, um, uh, put Dante Payne up there, too. Um, but definitely one of the uh, uh, unquestioned leaders on the team. And um, I have decided to give him the official title of Mr. Robert Moore's football Uh, uh <laughs> And again, I, I, I congratulate him on, on all the work that he's doing uh, for the team uh, as a, a, a announcer now and calling the games, but advocating for the players and the program. And so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you all to Robert Moore's Football Athletic Hall of Famer. Brian Cleary, what's going on, my brother? What's up, Mo? We got to change that intro. It's got to be Dr. Mo Baptiste, man, you got to give yourself some props, man. I told you oh, at homecoming man. before, man, how proud I am of you of doing that. Stick with your education. And there's a, a, a long list of players that have come from questionable backgrounds. And I'm not saying that anything about anybody's upbringing, but you led the charge of continuing your education, getting that doctorate and bettering yourself. So, man, let's not forget, not only are you a leader of those teams, man, you're a genius. You, oh, doctor, no, man. Dude, I, my brother, <laughs> I appreciate you, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, man, I, I was good at school eventually. I, I put yep. it together, but I'm going to give Robin Cole his props for being the first Robert Morris uh, uh, football player to get a, a doctorate. I, I was second, but I was following his lead. But uh, shout out to Robin Cole and shout out to Coach Robin Cole Sr., who just agreed yesterday to be interviewed. Looking forward awesome. to to having him on and um and then clearly let me go ahead and start off before really diving to you i haven't asked coach walton yet because i haven't had the courage to uh, <laughs> uh I'm, I'm hoping to work up the nerves sometime tomorrow uh to call his wife and uh i appreciate you for the contact but my brother man how's it been during covid brother 
how have you adjusted to the changes, man? What's been going on with you? Man, just everybody else just staying low key, doing what I can, focusing on work and family, trying to keep everybody sane with how we've had to adjust our lives the past year. But yeah, I mean, it's it's given me an opportunity to reconnect with people, you know, because you got nothing to do, right? Jumping on FaceTime with people, talking old yep. stories, because that's all we got, right? We just got these stories that we all have in common where we talk about different scenarios and my wife always makes fun of me that I can remember what happened on one play in 1996, but I can't remember what the hell to get at the grocery store, you know, <laughs> when I go there. So I tell her it's the hit yep. to the head, but it's like, there's things in there that I just won't ever forget. So, hey, brother, we are all having the same conversations with our, our wives. And, and and I think if enough of us uh, tell the same story, they'll start believing us. So we got to yeah. stick together, brother. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, man. So, hey, let me tell you, man. So I always start off with, you know, what I remember about you and what I appreciate you about you. So what I remember about you. So I, I, I. I'm going to say again, I, I I put Delonte Perkins on that list as well. Can't wait to put his uh, interview out. Oh. But uh, as far as, you know, the guy, one of the guys who kept the mood light, you know what I'm saying? You would not allow the tension to build up, you know what I'm saying? You would have your own ways of introducing a freshman to the team. Uh, uh, <laughs> and those, those, those stories are legendary, but, uh, you know, I just remember you. Again, always keeping in the mood light. And, uh, you know, when you spoke, people listen, man. And uh, as a GA with you, man, got got a chance to see you do your thing. And it's cool listening to some of the office linemen that I've interviewed so far. Clifton Jean-Jacques, for example, talking about you as a coach. And, you know, and Mirdo, you know, talking about you. And, uh, uh, you know, glad to finally get you on. But, man, you know, again, uh, what I remember about you is keeping the mood light, man, and being that guy to, to keep everybody balanced man but what i appreciate about you is probably the same thing man is that role it continues as a ga we had a lot of fun oh so <laughs> much fun you know and, 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 and we'll tell those stories because and, and let me add this to you uh, uh brian cleary and myself are part of a very small exclusive graduate assistant football coach uh, uh fraternity uh uh which is very special there and uh so uh, again, what I appreciate you, man, is just always being that guy, man. And, and, and I, on behalf of my teammates, I know they'll agree. Man, we salute to you, my brother. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. And it was an honor to play with everybody, you know, and I can't wait to get into the GA aspects because not a lot of people know the behind scenes of all the work we did and all the players we brought in. Like, we could sit down and make a list of who brought in the greatest players. And yeah, man, man. I mean, we brought in as GAs, as former players brought in some unbelievable talented players into the program that continue that tradition. And it's, there's a lot of work that went on as a GA, probably more than what GAs do at big time programs. So we oh, were almost full-time assistant coaches, but just again, like, like we were players, we were not really getting paid that much. So <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I will say this, and, and, and we also had, like you just said, because most GAs, man, they making photocopies. They, they mm -hmm. putting cones up. We actually got to coach a, a, a position. And there's not too many institutions that would allow a graduate assistant to do so. But we was lucky enough to have, you know, very specific uh, positions that we were responsible for. And ironically, we played those positions. So we, we got to have a very unique opportunity uh, to share and give back, man. So 
Yes, sir. Looking forward to getting to those. Oh, man. yeah. So, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. Hey, and also, you're the only player and first interviewee that I put three hours for. Because I said, I, 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 I said, because because I think you did. You you transcend so many layers of the program that um, uh, the goal is for you to be doing most of the talking, not me, because I want you to get as much as you can out. I'm just going to try to lead you and hopefully uh, spark something. But I want you to talk as much as possible, man. Uh, so share, share alike, man. So, Will do, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, let's get to the beginning, man. So let's uh, 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 let's start from the beginning. What town are you from? Describe that town. How was it growing up there, man? And uh, uh, yeah, man, what part of your part of PA did you grow up in? And, and t- tell me about that. Well, let's let's uh, start telling some truth here. I wasn't born in PA. I wasn't raised ah, in PA. Ah, okay. I was born in Salinas, California. I'm a West Coast baby. Oh, breaking news. I didn't know that. Come on, brother. I love this. Tell so, me some stories. What's up? So, I mean, I don't remember much of it, but my, my father, who was a football player, was decided to settle down in California. He played football in Den- uh, Colorado, uh, like a big Division two school. Made his way out to California. He ran an apricot farm. We had one of the largest apricot farms, so I was raised on that. And then probably heading into kindergarten, we moved to Latrobe, PA. My parents got divorced, and I went with my mom and lived in Oklahoma. So I was raised in the Midwest um, from, like, first grade all the way to seventh grade. So I was in Oklahoma. That's when I started playing sports, back when Oklahoma Sooners were winning championships and doing drugs and getting arrested and all kinds of crazy. Before Miami was Miami, it was Oklahoma leading the pack to doing that stuff. <laughs> getting busted. I'm going to love this interview. <laughs> oh, some crazy shit there in Oklahoma. Well, yeah, that's 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 where the upbringing of sports happened. And then later on in life, I moved out to PA to be with my dad. Okay, cool, cool, man. So uh, uh, so what do you remember, though? I know you say, can you remember anything vaguely? Because I'm telling you something. You mentioned apricot. And, apricot, and there's yeah. not apricot. There's not too many people actually know what that is. I got a chance to go to Haiti two years ago mm. and, and, and actually crack one open, man. And uh, so can you describe the fruit and, and, and what do you like about it, don't like about it? So it's, I mean, I love them, first of all. And having them dried a, a little bit, I mean, they still hold their texture and juice. Um, they're smaller to think of it like an orange without the 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 shell on it where you got to peel away it's almost like a an orange plum if you will but a different juice and texture inside it has a big seed inside like a plum it's just so you just grab it it's a little you just eat it real quick throw the seed on the ground just keep on going so i just remember always having them available farmers workers everywhere and you know just living on a big farm and that's that's where i was i was a farm kid when i lived in california and i was a farm kid when i lived in Oklahoma and until I got to a certain school, which we'll get into where, you know, I went to an inner city school my last year in Oklahoma. So that was an island. Oh yeah. We gonna get into that, brother. <laughs> we gonna get into that, man. Hey, let me tell you, brother, a apricot preserve with organic peanut butter mm. sandwich with a glass of soy milk, cold brother, I'm in heaven. Absolute heaven. Well, it looks so like good. I'm going shopping this week. I know what I'm getting. I'm trying to tell yeah. you, dude, good, good snack, man, bomb ass snack, man. So, uh, uh, so Oklahoma. So, uh, when did you start? Uh, uh, when were you first introduced to the organized sports? Um, probably young, just like with any other kid, like little league baseball. Tried out for soccer. Um, I do remember trying out for wrestling 
and wrestling is really big in the Midwest when you look at Oklahoma. I think I went to one practice, cried, and never played again. It never went out again. It was like doing push-ups and running. I mean, it was pretty intense. But um, really when it started for me was in fourth grade when I started playing football and basketball all the time. So um, I went to a school. It was called Nakoma Park. But the funny story is I went there. I didn't live there. My aunt lived in the school district, so we gave my aunt's address, and then my mom would drive me to the school because it was a really good school. So, and then when they come to find out and ask me, "Hey, where do you live?" I could never give my address because I couldn't remember my aunt's address, so I always get busted. Um, but yeah, fourth grade is when I started. Um, I do remember, you know, and thankfully for Facebook, I still talk to some of the guys I played with in fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade. So, yeah, it is, I played. I think guard and linebacker, the old school combination when you were little, right? You played guard, you yep. played linebacker, yep. you played tackle, you played offensive, defensive tackle and things like yep. that. So it was just a <laughs> natural combination. So yeah, they, I was lucky enough. They had an A team and a B team. I played on the A team all three years and yeah, it was a lot of fun, but that's where I started getting my roots into football. Okay, cool, cool, man. So uh, 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 I know you say Oklahoma and this is still in Oklahoma, correct? Yeah, still in Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you just, what was special about Oklahoma football? So, I, I the little that you did experience, and let's talk about OU, O, o State, and and, and mm. just you know describe Oklahoma football, especially during that time period, what you remember. So, what I remember is is that um, <laughs> we didn't have the only weight limit we had on like fourth, fifth, and sixth grade team was the people that ran the ball. So you could have been a three hundred pound fourth grader; they didn't care. And some of these kids were big. So I just, I, I remember you play the regular season and then they take the top teams and they play a huge state tournament. And we always lost to the same team in fourth grade and fifth grade. In sixth grade, we finally beat them. We were so happy. We scored on the first play of the game that we won like six nothing. I, I just remember we're so happy. And then the next, next week we played the team in the championship and they kicked our ass. Everybody's crying. These guys were men. But I just remember like looking at you know, walking off the field going like, who's that guy? That guy's monstrous. And they're like, oh, that, that team's from Hera. And, you know, we, we just crushed them. I'm like, how did they, how do we destroy them? Like, these guys are huge. But I just remember the size of them. And, you know, but, but the big thing was, is back at that time when I played was Oklahoma Sooners football was winning national championship. The Boz was there, Brian yeah. Bosworth. Everybody fought on getting number 44. I had the Mohawk. You wouldn't be able to tell now, but I had the Mohawk. We had the Lions shaved in our head like him we had the colors for our team everybody had that so i mean it was just a he was a huge celebrity and just everybody everybody just either loved oklahoma state with the cowboys or up in you know outside of tulsa or down in norman you loved oklahoma sooners and i was the sooners guy still am to this day so that's my team okay hey man i'm gonna tell you man shout out to oklahoma little league because that makes so much sense florida Everybody had to wait the exact same thing, and I think that that could have changed uh, Florida football for the for the I mean for the better if linemen could wait whatever and mm -hmm. skill positions had to be the ones to wait something. That makes so much sense. So I remember I remember coming up to PA the first time I was up here and going to a football practice, and I saw this kid, probably you know like fourth fifth grade, and he's jogging around the football field in his full gear with the garbage bag over. And I'm like, what is going on? They're like, he has to make weight. He has weigh in tomorrow. He has to lose like seven pounds. Or he can't play and i'm like is he a running back no they're like he's a lineman i'm like that doesn't make any sense like you're trying to kill this kid to lose weight it's like they're not gonna hurt anybody we're just bumping into each other and it's just the running backs they didn't want the running backs in oklahoma 
to have a, an advantage of hurting somebody. So all the running backs or those that were going to carry the ball had to weigh a certain weight at each level. Again, that made so much sense to do that. That was yeah. that makes so much sense because uh, I don't know if you, uh, based on the interviews, man, there's a lot of people that had to suffer. You know, a lot oh, of yeah. Oklahoma teammates had to suffer to make weight, man. So, yeah, shout out to Oklahoma for doing it <laughs> the right way, man, for real. So probably changed when um, they probably realized people get hurt, but still, I mean, you just stick your biggest, you know, farm boys up front and you let the little fast guys run everywhere and. That that's was it. The game. That's football. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the game. That's the yeah. game, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, so I, that's Oklahoma. That's middle school, correct? Yeah. So that was uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Okay. And then what, what happens after sixth grade? Oh no, no. You say you play uh, basketball as well, right? Well, yeah. So I play. I played basketball. So in the offseason, I would play basketball with pretty much the same guys, and then we would, you know, had some success there. Not too much. You know, football was sort of my bigger success, but still loved playing the game, but. Um, but seventh grade, that's when, so just to, you know, open up a little bit, we moved around a lot, but I still kept on going to Oklahoma Park. My mom, who was always seemed to be a manager at apartment complexes, they always needed someone to run the day to day. Well, we always had to move every couple of months. We always had to move. I never knew why she always have a new job and didn't think anything about it until one day me and my older brother came home from school. And we're coming home from school. My mom's usually there because we had a free apartment because she's a manager and the cops are there. And the cops came and took her away. She was writing bad checks. She got caught. That's why she kept on moving us because she was writing bad checks and got caught. The, the police took her. So the neighbor took us, by the, watched our mom get arrested. And then we just went to, my brothers and I just went to my house. There was no taking kids away, making sure they were safe. The cops just took my mom away. And I, my, my brother, we just sat at the apartment ate probably SpaghettiOs or hot dogs on the grill. I mean, on the stove, just cooked it and then ate it. Watching, you know, Michael Jackson Thriller videos on MTV and just went about our day. That was it, you know, until she got released. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing that story too. I'm fascinated by all the different backgrounds because, you know, and I'm, I'll tell my wife this morning that I, I am beyond lucky and I, I wish y'all can... <laughs> be from my vantage point receiving <laughs> these stories man because i'm just as a sociologist i'm, I'm you know pulling back this onion mm -hmm. and we're looking at all our, our teammates from various backgrounds and 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 etc and you're hearing these stories man of, of when we talk about struggle man usually it's painted a very specific way but not understanding man a lot of us single parents home poverty you know and it transcends race so uh, um, you know, that's why football is the ultimate team sport where people got to come together from different backgrounds and, and, and uh, 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 fighting for the same cause, man. So thank you for sharing that, man. And yeah, we all got a story, baby. We oh, all got yeah. a story and things we had to overcome, man. So, but let's, I, I, you know, in, in, a, in keeping with the theme of the greatest of all time that, 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 that coached <laughs> both of us, man, and we're going to get into some specific bad rad stories, but right now, just the focus on his philosophy of this idea of finding athletes and guys who played multiple sports. And so mm -hmm. uh, myself and you, we would uh, uh, do that and find guys who were athletes, not just football players. And obviously you're one of those guys, man. So basketball, what position did you play uh, uh, and what transition did you see and how did it help your football game? Um, well, once I started getting older and getting into high school where I played 
football, basketball, you know, I, I started for a couple of years and, you know, being six foot four, I was one of the taller guys on the team. But really into my senior year on basketball, they realized not only was I the tallest guy, but I was the best defender. So I could move my feet really, really well. So who, when our coach would put up who were guarding and things like that pregame, I, whoever the best player was, whether it was a point guard or a center or a shooting guard, I always had to guard them. So I could be six foot four going against a five foot eight point guard, but I could stay in front of them. And so it really helped me with my footwork, knowing how to be a big guy and get my feet underneath me, you know, to change of speed is also a big thing for offensive linemen as well, to know when to accelerate, when to, you know, cut a guy off when you're going to the next level, jump into a linebacker and going to where he's going to be, not where he's at, because if you go to where he's at, it's too late, he's gone. So taking those things from basketball really helped me, you know, at that time I was still playing quarterback and we'll get into that, you know, like the name story. So but I want to, I want to, you know, when you when you're talking about interesting stories, I wanted to share something else with you about my Oklahoma experience, which really I think molded me who I was. Um, seventh grade, my mom moved out of sort of that area, moved into the, I don't want to say the wrong side of the city, but inner city of Oklahoma City. She was just outside of downtown, and it was a city school. Never went to a city school, so I got on the bus, and I just remember um, walking into the the building. You know, just keeping to myself, not really looking at my surroundings. I'm like, all right, this is going to suck. I really don't want to be here. And I remember walking into the first class I I had. And at seventh grade, you start changing classes and things like that. But this is sort of like the class I'm going to be following. I remember walking in and I'm the only white boy there. Not white, white kid, white kid in like one of the few white kids in seventh grade. And I was tested every day, not because they wanted to fight me. They just wanted to see who's this kid. And to the point where, you know, you got to know when to fight, when not to fight, when to walk away, keep your head down, just do your schoolwork. Um, it, it was it was a tough upbringing, and, but I think it really molded me to learn how to talk to people from different backgrounds, different struggles, realizing that just because I'm the only white kid here, I don't have it as bad as everybody else. What was me? That, that, that shit doesn't fly. So, you know, and, and had some really good friends as the years went on started playing basketball with everybody, started playing sports, you know, it was just, it was a real eye opener for me at such a young age to be in that environment. But I think that really molded me into who I was as a young adult. Yes, sir. Hey, man, again, beautiful story. Like I said, <laughs> layers, man, you yep. sharing, you know, and it, that some of that, a lot of that makes sense. And I, I, there's a very specific story I remember from undergrad that I, I, I'll share with you. I, I hope I'm going to remember. I, I know exactly what spot to bring it up. But that, again, that doesn't surprise me, man. does not surprise <laughs> me at all. So so what what were some of the lessons that you gained from that school, man? I mean, besides, I know as far as mm-hmm. you, 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 you said some very specific things like knowing when to fight, knowing when not to fight, knowing when to speak up, when knowing when to shut the hell up. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I, what were some other things that you learned um, that maybe surprised you from being on that side of town? Well, it's easy to put up your hands and fight every single time, but that's not going to resolve things sometimes. I mean, you know, I, I got into several fights during the school year just because I felt like I had to stand my ground at certain points. But just learning how to talk to people, learning how to maybe just keep to myself, not always react to things like we, everybody's young at that age. Everybody sort of wants to goof around. So where 
a, a small group might be having fun with me in a playful way, there's no reason to react in such a way that is aggressive back to them because they're like, wait, I don't want to mess with this guy anymore. But if you sometimes if you just let it brush off, you have fun, you keep to yourself, you, they, they, you know, people will start saying, ah, ah, he's not that bad. All right, let's let's get him involved in things like that. So. You know, and then that's the school you're going along, like hanging out with people, like people are coming over the house, you know, it's not as, I, I don't think as doom and gloom as walking into that first day of school and going like, I am the only white person in this class. This is going to be awful, you know? And then you just, you learn to keep to yourself and then people started opening up to People started wanting to hang out and, you know, realizing that, you know, you look past color, you look past your, your backgrounds. And, you know, there was a wide variety of, you know, African Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanics, I mean, all mixed in all together. And it's just, I fit in, in you know, my little puzzle piece, if you will, right? I'm, I'm part of that little puzzle piece, that seventh grade year. Where did I fit in? I couldn't force myself to fit in a certain spot where I thought I should fit in. It just had to naturally come. And then over time it did. So it taught me how to be patient, you know? And when you look back at our experiences, you realize it also allowed me when the Robert Morris years come and how diverse we were from all different walks of lives and backgrounds. It's you listen to people, you, you, you give people an opportunity to get to know them instead of judging so quickly, you know, someone might spout off every single, someone might be a practice player, right? Ah, I'm the greatest fucking linebacker ever. I should be started. You know, you, you let them do that. And then outside of the locker room, they're a completely different person. So you have to realize that people have many different layers to themselves. So that's what I, I, I didn't know that at that time, but when you look back at it, you see sort of the, the blocks that helped you get to the point where you start understanding more. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Let's just lighten this thing up a little bit. Let's, yeah. keep it on. <laughs> Let, let's get back to sports though. So yeah. you, you play football. Uh, when do you feel that you got a, a feel for the game and, when did you make the transition to quarterback? Because we still haven't got to that yet. So is we still in middle school? <laughs> so no. So um, ninth grade, I was still playing tight end. We didn't go to varsity in ninth grade. We're still like uh, like a junior high team. So my dad had always coached me through when I came up here through basketball and football. He stayed with me all the way through my senior year. Oh, excuse me. He um, well, I remember one day in practice, he said, "Hey, take a snap and throw throw a pass," and I missed the guy by 20 yards. I'm like flinging the ball. It's a duck. I don't know what to do. And I don't know why he did it. And then from ninth grade, I was like 5'10 to my sophomore year. In that summer, I grew from 5'10 to 6'3. And then I lengthened out. And then he's like, all right, you're a quarterback now. So he got me ready because he knew that at some point I, I was transitioning to quarterback. So by 10th grade, hitting the 10th grade year, and we had a new coach. They were putting a triple option in. So there was a lot of change going on. So just like with Nate, he didn't throw the ball a lot, but you know, and it took me a while to, to come around as a quarterback. So I'm still learning the position. I never played it. You know, I didn't play until my sophomore year. I've always was a tight end. I was other positions. Um, so it, sophomore year was a really learning experience. And then 11th grade started getting a little bit better at it. And then finally senior, I was a starter and we had a lot of success even though our our record was 5-4-1 but it's the first winning season in like 20 years at my school so a lot of success you know with me a quarterback but you know i wasn't it was like a fullback back there i do the fake the triple option i just run over a linebacker and pick up seven yards and that was it that was that was the offense i wasn't bouncing it to the outside uh-uh <laughs> <laughs> so so like so 
when okay, when do you feel that you had a pretty good grasp of the game? Or like, okay, you know what? I'm 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 pretty good at this thing. Probably heading into my senior year. You know, I put a lot of work into that. Um, I started, you know, understanding the game more. Things really started slowing down at the high school level. Um, I started seeing things a lot easier. So that's where I'm like, hmm, you know, I might be able to keep playing this sport and, you know, having success, you know, in, you know, in high school, I did three sports. So I did football, basketball, and then I did track and track was my really big success where I set school records in javelin. I won championships in javelin. So, you know, that was my big success, but I love the team sport. So, um, yeah, it was, um, probably my senior year when everything started really clicking heading into that year. And then all throughout that year, that's when things started clicking sports wise for me. Cool. I'm so glad you remind me that you did track. Yeah, man. <laughs> so now, like, like, like I've done with some of the other guys, man, I, I want you to, again, keeping with the theme of being a multi-sport athlete, I want you to, so what, what, what did you compete in first and foremost? Compete in terms of events? So, I mean, I did a, a little bit of everything. I would throw a shot if we needed to. Disc, I sucked at, but like triple jump, high jump, 400. We do a fat man relay once in a while um, for fun at the end of the meet. So the lineman, the rules was you had to be over 200 pounds. Well, I was over 200 pounds. So I would run with the lineman and burn all of them. So, but like javelin was my number one sport. Like I went out the track my freshman year because they would allow freshmen to come on to varsity. And I saw the quarterback who was a senior at that time throwing this javelin. So I went over and threw it just for goofing around and it went pretty far. And they're like, oh, you're a javelin thrower now. So they would send me to camps, get me ready. And um, yeah, I would just do, I'd probably do probably three or four different events all throughout the meet. And then the last one was always like javelin. So I'd either be exhausted or nice and warmed up for my, my best event. So that's how it was. And then javelin yeah. and then track actually, Helped me, help secure me to go to Robert Morris because I got a track scholarship. And we will get into that. <laughs> we will get into that. So, so, uh, um, because I don't, you shit, you're the, definitely the first javelin thrower if I can remember <laughs> that I've really took. So, I want you to just really walk through the process, man. So, what muscles are being used? What's the technique? What's the form? What, so, how would you describe as far as an explosion? So, I want to get a little more uh, into the technical aspect of it, man. So what can you share with someone about what's unique about javelin and throwing in general? So it's, think of it as like a rubber band. The tighter you you pull the rubber band, the bigger the snap. And that's sort of the mindset when you throw a javelin. It's not about how big and strong you are. It's about how much you can pull that and sort of pop and let it go. Think of it like a baseball player in the outfield. They're going to catch a fly ball and they do that little crow hop they call and then they throw it with everything they have. That's the end explosion for very similar to a javelin thrower. You do a build up, you jog down, um, you do a point where the javelin's by your head and then you pull it back and that's when you go into your crossover phase. And the crossover could be three to five steps, however you want to do it. And then on that final one, you do sort of like a little crow hop, you land, if you're right footed, you land on that right foot and you're pushing off and transitioning onto your left leg. Now your left leg should be almost as straight as possible as you can, as you build that sort of whip into it. And then your follow through is so explosive that sometimes you fall down, you know, or sometimes you got to make sure you leave enough way so you don't foul. And you know, that's probably the hardest thing and is that whip. Just think of it as a rubber band. The tighter you pull on it, 
in terms of pulling that back and holding it and letting that left leg come through and it's hit come through then it's just my farthest throws have always been where i don't feel it it's just it just happens it's just like it, it goes and you're like wow that didn't go very far and they pull out the they call out the numbers i'm like oh my god how'd that happen you know you know what's funny man i was just uh talking with jake man talking about playing shortstop Mm -hmm. um, I had him describe it, and, and you got to think about it, man. You obviously you experienced it before in football, and it's called flow state. Uh, a lot of research behind it, man, and, and you know, and for football to get to uh, describe it to you, it's when everything slows down, right? And you can also almost anticipate what's about to happen, and so everything slows down. You're almost in an automatic pilot, almost, and and the conscious mind is not in at work. It's all subconscious and the repetition of over and over again to that perfect moment where, where you're aligned, muscles aligned, the wind is aligned, everything, and you just subconsciously do what you've been training to do. Yep. And those are the results of it. Is that a fair description? That's an absolute perfect description because the time I won districts my senior year was on the very last throw. I was in third place and to go to States, I had a win. So I remember throwing it and it, it went and I was like, that's not a very good throw. And I was almost going to foul myself, but I didn't. And I turned around and walked away and they said, congratulations. And, you know, cause I just won it. And I just qualified for States. I'm like, oh my God, like that didn't feel like it went that far, but it did. Like it was just so smooth. And like you said, it just felt like nothing, felt like a warm up throw, but it just all came together. And can I say this? And I want you to think about what what, what took place. I'm going to describe the conditions for you. You had already consciously made a decision, right? And the situation was the pressure. The pressure of that last throw and everything that came with it. Mm -hmm. So your subconscious mind knew what was at stake, right? So you consciously like, ah, whatever, you know, because it didn't feel right consciously subconsciously the moment caused you to get that throw yeah i mean it's absolutely true because i mean it's as soon as i let it go i'm like just an average throw for me wasn't good enough and then then when they called it out i was like how did that happen like well, that didn't feel like any other throw i've thrown you know throws i've thrown for breaking school records it felt like i was lifting a thousand pounds over my head i threw it so hard but this one was just so smooth and I mean, I guess it's just like probably like either, you know, a quarterback dropping back the pass and they just let it go like a flick of the wrist. And you're like, I think you can throw it that hard. And it just goes, you know, 60 yards on a perfect spiral down the field. Yeah. So, yep. just like how yeah, you throw it. And we're going to get to that. Mr. Bo Baptiste, one of the strongest football arms on the team, throwing those <laughs> balls during pregame warmups. <laughs> oh, man. You thought I, I forgot about that. See, anybody else bring that up? No, we used to have those throwing play. contests. Remember those in pregame? Before yeah. we were the biggest—I uh, know we'll get to—we were the biggest clowns in pregame before we. <laughs> <we'd>... <laughs> oh, hey man, I, I, you know, you're the first to bring it up. You're the first <laughs> to bring it up. I, I tell people I used to have a little arm, man. I used to be able to throw a little something. <laughs> you had a cannon, Mo. <laughs> I used to, be able to throw that ball a little bit, man. <laughs> Yeah, man. But uh, so, uh, 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 yeah, that was dope, man. I love the way you described it, man. It, it, it what popped in my head just now was it would be really interesting and cool to watch that throw right now, and just watch your body language and just the moment. I highly recommend you do that if you can. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to try to find it. I don't know if anybody recorded it, but yeah, I'd, I'd have to try to find it. 
Yeah, that would be dope, man. So senior year, man, uh, uh, you're killing it in track. Yep. Uh, uh, you're playing uh, quarterback for football. You you go. You guys go five, four, and one. First winning record in 20 years. Um, you guys, uh, you, uh, uh, you do extremely well in track. Did you play basketball as well? Yeah, I played basketball. So, you know, did well in basketball. Didn't really have any huge accolades, but, you know, was a starter, a couple of your starters. So, you know, had a lot of fun with that. Cool, cool, man. So, 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 uh, senior year, man. So you say you guys go five, four, run a five, four, one, you guys run a triple option. Uh, so shit, we might as well get into your recruiting process. So, yeah. uh, end of your senior year season's over. What do you think? Well, let's say end of track seasons, uh, is over. What's happening with football? What is your recruiting process like? And, um, yeah, describe that to me. So I had a few Division two schools, you know, locally, you know, recruit me pretty heavily. Um, <clears throat> and I had Duquesne recruiting me. And funny story is that in the, the quarterback for Duquesne at that time, that we played against him was Dave Loya. Dave Loya and I were really good friends in high school. We played against each other. Uh, my final high school football game was against him. The winner went to the playoffs, the loser went home, he beat me. Um, and then we played him and Robert Morris, you know, when he went to Duquesne. So the funny story is I was being recruited by Duquesne. He's being recruited by Robert Morris. I read in the paper a couple of weeks ago, he signed with Duquesne. Duquesne stopped calling me. So Darnell Richardson, who recruited me was an alumni, one of the greatest alumni ever at my high school. He was a coach there. He recruited me, he stayed in touch with me all the time. I did have some walk-on offers just because of who people knew. Um, my dad said, hell no, based on the location of them. One was UNLV. And I think about like, hmm, I could have been hanging with Suge Knight and everybody Ooh. over there. And I was like, I'd have been, I'd have been in trouble. Right. And then um, Kansas State. Both of them said, hey, we don't have a scholarship for Brian, but we can offer him sort of a walk-on opportunity if he comes there. So really what it was is, I don't know if I would have been invited to camp. I would have been probably a practice player the first year and then hopefully work up to a scholarship opportunity. But my dad's like, that's too far away. That's not going to be worth your time. So um, it was a combination of Robert Morris, um, football and track. Track gave me a dorm scholarship because of Javelin. They wanted me to do both sports. Walton was fine with it. And I remember my recruiting trip to Robert Morris. Went up there, like me and my dad, we drove up there, knocked on the door, Rad's there. So Rad's like, all right, let me take you around. We get in a school, we, we get in a van, a van, just like a regular van at school. And some of the coaches driving me around and Rad goes, there's a library, there's where you sleep, back where you're at was you can play football. So you coming, any questions? And that was it. That was my recruiting trip with Rad. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, and then finally over time, like after track season, you know, I made the commitment to come to Robert Morris and join that first year program. And well, we can get into all that first year. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, but hold on. I want to, I want to build it up a little bit back up. <laughs> so you still, we still don't know. How did you end up in PA? Oh, well, at some point, you know, because that whole mother father i didn't get to see my dad a lot and then a couple times i was allowed as i got older to go visit him for the summer and stay with him and my my older sister was already living with him a lot of my dad's side of the family all lived up here and it was a closer knit family and while i credit my mother's grandparents mama and georgie who rooted everything with me i stayed and worked with them a lot like my grandfather 
used to come get me out of school early to help him cut grass. He's like, all right, it's lunchtime, let's go cut grass. And it would just get me out of school just to work with him for eight, 10 hours till nighttime. And then, you know, that's that, you know, old school upbringing that he gave me. But yeah, eventually probably like, I think like eighth grade, heading to that summer after seventh grade, after I went to that one school in the inner city, I was like, yeah, let me go live with my dad. And I stayed up there and it was his high school. Everybody knew him, you know, they knew my brother was already there. He was already playing. My sister was already been there as well. So it was like, it was an easy transition to go up there to be with my brothers and sisters and my dad. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, we haven't gotten to the academic piece, man. So how did you, how were you K-12 academically, especially with the moving around? How, how, how were you in school? I was pretty good in school. I was taking a lot of advanced classes. Um, <clears throat> like my daughter's in them now, I like advanced classes. And I always tell my wife this story and she hates it. Um, Back then, they didn't have early um, graduation. So kids that are advanced now, they can graduate at the end of December and enroll in college that spring to get into spring football with a lot of these big programs. And that seems to be a lot of the trade. And why wouldn't you want to do that? So heading into my senior year, I had a gallons counselor goes, hey, you're, gonna, you're just going to stay with the same classes. I'm like, yeah, they, they made a joke. They're like, hey, you know, if you went back to the general courses, you know, instead of the advanced courses, you don't have to take any of this stuff. You already have enough to graduate. You just got to take sort of these electives and that's it. I'm like, am I allowed to do that? They're like, yeah, sure. Because I had all A's and B's. I was like a three, five, three, six student, you know, even those advanced courses. And they're like, I'm like, man, I don't have to take Calc 2. I don't have to take Psych, you know, Physics 2. I don't have to take all this stuff in my senior year. I'm like, I could have like five study halls and, you know, Art 4 <laughs> and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, you could we wouldn't recommend that i'm like do it pull me back i see your year i'm like i'm taking it easy my wife hates that story because i tell her all the time I'm like yep i sort of had a nice easy relax i could focus on athletics i had all my academics in order you know i could focus on getting the act sat all squared away so that's what i did all the way all the way to my senior year i was you know college prep courses and then my senior year i was like pull it back let's go study halls hey look here man that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to take advantage of the system. You know yep. what I'm saying? If it's there for you, man. So I always ask people too, man. So what was your last GPA and what was your uh, uh, ACT or SAT score? You remember? I think my last GPA probably, probably like a three, four, three, six. Um, and then I think I got like mid to high eights. Like I took it once and it was like that. Took it once, I got enough, and I'm like, how am I going to do this again? I, I qualified. That's all the yep. NCAA cared about. I qualified. Done. So that's that's what I did. I didn't have to take it multiple times. So I just did it once, got it, and I'm like, all right, I'm in. Let's go. That's right. Hey, <laughs> makes sense to me, brother. That's yep. right. That's right. So let's get to the question how I ask everybody, man. So how the hell did you end up with Robert Moore? So you chose it. You end up choosing Robert Moore. You could have walked on, et cetera, but... Yeah. You, you you chose Robert Morris, man, and uh, 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 um, so, okay, well, shit, you actually, you already answered that question, so let's not ask it again. Let's talk about drive-in, you, 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 you get to campus, report in, you're in a locker room, what do you remember? Well, I remember that first trip heading up the moon and talking to my dad, I was, and I just said, hey, you know what, my goal is this year as a first-year player of the first-year program, is just make the travel squad. That's all I want to do. I want to be able to travel with the team and I'm not looking to start or anything like that. And I remember joking with my dad. I was like, if they ever move me to the offensive line, I'm quitting football. And it was just a joke. <laughs> we were both laughing about it and things like that. 
but I, I just, you know, I remember getting to campus. There's all these different players. There's so many players there. You know, you get into your dorm room. My stepmom at the time, who raised me like her own son, you know, I still call her mom today. She, you know, making my bed crying. All the moms are there crying. It's just like, then we had to go figure out where we had to report. There's just so many players there. And I just remember like, what the hell is going on? And you're sort of like following the pack, right? It's like, no one's a leader because no one knows what the hell's going on. So you sort of like follow the pack, the swarm, wherever they go. And it, it, it was a blur. There was so much going on. You didn't know what to really, what the hell to do. You lived in these little bitty, I lived in Adams Hall 1A. Um, <laughs> I lived in Adams Hall 1A. Across from me in 1B was Brian Dunn, Nate, uh, Jake Newman. Um, yeah couple other guys down the hall and then upstairs on the third floor was Jason Spencer Greg Bussey was in there so I mean we had a lot of guys that I'm still great friends with today that you know we that's where we all started so you know but it, it was a whirlwind there were so many guys so many guys everywhere I like I, I remember listening to Payne like and that's the biggest thing like when Dante said like everybody wanted to show their highlights Dante didn't show shit Dante's like hey you're gonna see who I am out on the field and you know, you're like, there were some couple of guys are like, whew, this guy's really, really good. You know, these guys are pretty fast. These guys are pretty big and they never played. And it was crazy. You know, you look at him, you're like, without pads on, like everybody's flying around. I'm like, man, that guy's going to be good. That guy's going to be good. And then once we started getting pads on, you're like, wait, where, where'd he go? Oh, he's on 15 now. You know, and it's just how it was. It was crazy. Yeah, man. So when you, so you're, you're in camp. You, you, yep. you drills and you're at quarterback and uh so describe uh, uh, uh trying to learn shout out to coach walton no. uh, uh the general is what i'm calling <laughs> him if rad is the 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 crazy colonel who you know just, just get results uh uh joe walton is the person who kept the ship afloat uh uh the master of all operations man so shout out to uh, uh the general man but so what what do you remember as far as at quarterback, man, and trying to learn that offense and 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 just the position in and of itself? Well, his son Tiger, Joe Walton Jr., was the quarterback coach, so he he was a backup of Pitt, so he had good credentials coming in there, and he had us just doing simple stuff, dropping back the pass, working on your steps. So the quarterbacks are all dropping back the pass. I'm like, what's a drop? I'm an option quarterback. I rolled out everywhere, just flung the ball up. I had a pass, and I'm like. So they're dropping back three step five. I'm doing karaoke's. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm like, this is awful. And I just remember it's like, all right, you know, and, and I do remember hearing Nate talking about like, hey, you know, and it's funny. It's it's so funny. And I don't know if Nate remembers this or whatever. Like Nate was at some point like the first or second string quarterback while Newman was hurt. We had a lot of different types of quarterbacks. Some quarterbacks were like, how did he play quarterback? And some quarterbacks like. You know, Ronnie K, he came from Ambridge down the road. He was like 6'5", like 210. He could throw the ball. And, you know, Nate was a big quarterback. I was a big quarterback. And then Newman was just sitting over there, like, everybody's pampering him, ankle, get him ready. He came from Ohio. He came from a past offense, you know, pro-oriented. And I'm like, man, we all got an opportunity here. And really what they're doing is just trying to see who's going to be second string behind Newman when he comes back off the gravy train. And I'm like, you know... I remember one time we ran a play, I threw a perfect pass. And then, you know, after practice or even during practice, I think Nate had already been moved because, you know, they moved him to free safety first. And Walton came up to me and says, hey, whatever, what other positions have you played? I'm like, ah, shit. I'm like, so he's talking with me. He's walking with me. And I could have said, 
I played de- I played quarterback and defensive end in high school. So I was a rush end and I could use my speed to get to the quarterback. And I, I could have said defensive end, but I just said, hey, I played tight end before too. So I go to tight end. So I go to tight end, Greg Bussey's there. He's six foot four, 230 pounds, unbelievable athlete. Then there's Drew Dorsey, who's probably 6'3", 260, built like a brick shit house, and as mean as can be, but as funny as any other guy I've ever met on some of the shit he used to say in games. Oh my God, the stuff that Drew Dorsey would say in games, that will, I, still to this day cracks me up. Um, so yeah, I get into that transition and then I started getting mad, right? The offense would, the first team offense would go over here, first team defense would go over here, and then you have everybody else sort of practicing. Ones never went to each other unless we went live. So I remember being with, going against the first team defense all the time. So I was lower on the depth chart on tight end. And I just, I was getting mad. So I just hit anybody and everybody I could see as hard as I could, whether it was right or wrong. I just kept on hitting everybody to the point where they brought me up with the other group and I was like the third tight end. So if Coach Walton went three tight ends, I was in. They went uh, short yardage goal line, I was in. So I started working my way up the depth chart into the tight end for the first couple of games. So when did you, um, hmm. so, so, so when did you make the chance? So you made transition from offensive line to tight end. And when did you transition? So you, you, when did you see the field? Well, I saw the field in the first two games. So I, as a special teams and tight end in certain packages. So I didn't start, but according to the letter of the law, I was letter. So it was after, I think the Monmouth game on a Monday. Uh, yeah, we were watching films on a Monday after the Monmouth game. We're watching it. We won a really close home game against Monmouth. And the next game was at Central Connecticut State. And again, we're leaving. At that time, we had practice after films. So, but it was just shells. And it's like, all right, we heard it went through films. And then Coach Walton asked me to stay behind. And he goes, Brian, I want to talk to you. He goes, how do you feel about the offensive line? I'm like, I like those guys. They're really funny. I get the, you know, I'm getting to know him and things like that. And he, and he started laughing a little bit. And he looked at me, he goes, no, how would you feel about playing offensive line? And, you know, I, I remember pausing for a second. I, in just a natural thing that we all say, hey, whatever's whatever's best for the team, coach. I'll, I'll help out wherever I can. I remember walking on the field. They already had the jersey in my locker room. They gave me seven. No, they still had 18. I still was wearing number 18. And so I went, I went out of the field and things like that. And then the first team broke out for the huddle. And Coach Wallen goes, oh, uh, clear, you get in a right tackle in front of everybody. And I'm like, I, three you know, a month ago, I was playing quarterback. Now I'm at six foot four, 215 pounds playing right tackle. And we're playing Central Connecticut State. And of all the teams we played, Central Connecticut State is always the biggest team in the world. I don't know what they put up in Connecticut in that water that they drink, but these guys are <laughs> monsters. And so I'm getting ready. And, you know, long story short, you know, I'm nervous as can be. They had to bring two jerseys for me. So in certain situations, like on certain goal lines they still needed me at tight end so I'd, I'd have to put on number 18 over 79 to get in the game and bring it back to the, the backup tackle now just good for me so it was a whole shit storm into that first game but i just remember the first play was jake rolling to his left and then i'm now his blind side and jake still tells me the story today like he's down line of scrimmage and mo i don't know what this guy was doing he put his hand down reverse 
So if you can see, see my hand, instead of putting it down like this, he put it reverse. I've never seen a forearm so big. It looked like a quad. His forearms, he's spitting on me. I'm like, this guy is going to murder me. And I have to protect <laughs> Newman's blind side on the first play of the game. You know, and this guy, uh, he was a monster. And he stood up straight up in the air. And I, I gave him a little pass punch and he just stopped. I'm like, this guy's a wuss. This is going to be easy as can be. And then that was it. And then that was my transition. And slowly but surely, you know, between having Rob Frazier out there and Tim Hall and Newman throwing the ball all around everywhere. I mean, it was, it wasn't that bad, especially when you're blocking for Tim Hall, when you just had to get in front of somebody, you didn't really have to block. You just had to get in someone's way. He's gone. So that's, that was, that made my life a lot easier as a first time offensive lineman. Yeah, man, that, that, hey, looking forward, we going to get to some Tim Hall <laughs> shortly, man. So, but let's get back to Waynesburg. So what do you remember about that first game, man? So from your vantage point, um, um, you know, just the build-up first game of in school history, man. So what what do you what, what do you can you remember? Um, I remember a lot of build-up beforehand, a lot of press, a lot of hype. Um, you know, they, they did a, a little crazy thing where they ran the game ball from Robert Morris to Waynesburg of Eternity, like ran it all the way there. Um, and then I remember getting there and I'm like, you know, Waynesburg had recruited me. I had visited there. So I'm like, okay. And, you know, a lot of people go, oh, Waynesburg, ah, Division Three school. That Waynesburg, you know, at that time was a good program. So they were really good in their conference. So um, it wasn't going to be an easy game. And just like what Nate says, all I remember is that goddamn train behind us in that, that sideline. And, you know, they get a first down and it's like, first down. And the sting of the Yellow Jackets, because they were the Waynesburg Yellow Jackets. And I'm like, this is just annoying. And, you know, I remember being on kickoff return and getting hit. I'm like, holy shit, these are guys out here. These are not little high school kids anymore. And then, you know, just the excitement, you know, people getting sacks and Tim Hall making big plays and Rob Frazier going off, you know. Rob Frazier was a man out there compared to every <laughs> every other person out there. And, you know, uh, Man, just so many memories flew by so quick. And, you know, I just remember that goal line stance by the defense to win the game for us. And Dante Payne, you know, catching the ball with his chest. Old stone hands out there, a defensive back, because I hear him talking about the offense a little bit. So I'm going to, you know, <laughs> be, that ball went right off his chest. And you're right. He catches it and he would have probably scored a touchdown and it'd be the biggest celebration ever. But, you know, he, um, you know, made a great play, you know, to seal the victory. And a lot of the stuff, like, like Nate says, it's a lot of the mistakes that they made on defense end up being the defense down the road. You know, I think goal line cannon, you can keep me honest here. Goal line cannon was based off a mistake that I think Nate and Dunn called incorrectly and it worked and Rad saw it on film. Then he just called the goal line cannon. There you go. That was the new sort of goal line blitz that destroyed yeah. everybody. And yeah, said, go, uh, always go, someone uh, come free. Yes, yeah, sir. There's also, uh, let me make sure, let me see if I can remember it. Uh, 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 oh, I'm going to mess it up, man. I'm not going to even try, but it was one where the end would go down and around uh, uh, the linebacker. Um, so I can't remember what it was, but it was, again, a mistake that was made that ended up being a play that I think Fred Manilak was involved with that. So, yeah, it was so cool to see, again, the genius of uh, our coaching and who we uh, were coached by and, and who understood the game and understood about uh, uh, mistakes can be turned to positive if you trust your players and what they did naturally. So, yeah. um, uh, uh, 
I, I, you know what, man? Let's just go ahead, man. So I, I, we can go about rad for hours. I'm, we gonna let this thing happen organically. <laughs> I want us as, as many rad stories as possible, man. But let, let's start with uh, what's your favorite la- rad story that he's told, and what's your favorite uh, rad story or whatever you can remember that just makes you laugh or anything. Just rad in general, man. This, this so is the rad hour. So the, the favorite rad story is one of the classic stories where he went home in the wrong house. So during his camp, you know, when he's coaching, he drove to the wrong house. He walked in, sat down, and the whole family was looking at him. And then the only thing he said was he looked at the lady and goes, you're not Nancy. Like, like they were in the wrong house. And we used to have rad tell those stories all the time. The things in person that I just loved about Rad, I mean, there's a couple of stories that I'll share. One, I'll share as a player. Um, in 1994, as everybody knows, we got our ass kicked up in Wagner. And we had a full practice. We watched films and then we had a full practice till dark after that. And we hit shields the entire time. And Greg Bussey, who was, a, you know, could still very be, he was a Mormon, he didn't swear. Drew Dorsey loved to bust his balls and swear at him all the time. And, and <laughs> Greg Bussey would get so flustered and things like that. And Rad had to get Greg Bussey more aggressive on his blocking. So Rad would take the shield on that Monday and held it against him and would say stuff to him to get him all mad. And I remember Bussey hit him one time, almost pancaked him, ripped off his glasses, ripped his shirt, and shit is flying everywhere. His hat's knocked off. And all I remember Rad going, hey, good job. You're still a pussy, but good job. And then that was it. <laughs> and then like, but as a, as a coach, we always had many different players, or excuse me, other programs come in through to just talk to Rad. And Rad had, at that time we became the GA, we had into a different office. He had his little office right there. And he would have these offensive line coaches or guys that wanted to coach offensive line stand in his doorway and he would talk to them. And then he would just try to slam the door and hit him in the face to see if they would react fast enough. I, there were so many guys that he would smash in the face with the door because they weren't ready. And that's what he would do every time, whether I as a player or whatever, he would just slam the door in your face to see if you would just have that natural reaction to bring your hands up to hit it. And just Brad would just beat up so many people. And then just watching the old films with Brad when he was with the Steelers or whatever, coaching and getting beat up by the players, especially Mike Webster and things like that. So, so many different stories with Brad. Um, I don't know if you knew this, when we played, probably more so in 97, where we're all starting to come into our own. We started noticing when we had dinner before meetings, Rad and Walton's never around. They're never there. It's all the assistant coaches. And then it's like, okay, special teams, it's 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 extra P and field goal tonight. Okay, so that means I gotta go there and things like that. Well, as we're meeting, everybody's there. Here comes Rad and Walton. They always walked in together. When we come to find out, they would go to ground round across the street and they would have a bag of chips and they would start drinking and they would review everything, just talk about everything, what do they want to do? Well, they would come in feeling good about themselves and, and somebody always on the defense would tell Rad, Rad, what about this? Tell us a story. And it would take up 45 minutes of the meeting. Walt would be so pissed at him, you know, but <laughs> you had no choice but to laugh because Rad would just go into his tyrant about some stupid meeting or some stupid story he'd had that we've all heard so many times. And, you know, I, I remember... I, I forget who it was. Someone always says, like Walton always says the same pregame stuff. Walt, Rad always told the same stories, and, but we all loved them all the same. So. Yep. 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 Man. Oh, that's hilarious, man. I. I. I you know, it's funny, man. I, I've had uh, guys tell stories again, man. Shout out to you, bro. Your impact, <laughs> man. Guys telling stories about 
you having shouting matches with Walton on the sidelines sometimes, mm. <laughs> or being being on the field yelling about certain plays or don't call that man. So, so you know, again, you you can't get away with that unless you obviously have the respect of the coach, man. But what what were some of those moments, man? Uh, and, and we'll get back to more football, but just curious about that. Yeah, I mean, it really to, into my senior year. You know, four year starter. I knew the offense inside and out. I knew some of the stuff from my days of quarterbacks and you know and then by that time by my senior year you know my roommates were Newman and List so you know we would always talk football together and Newman and I would go over so much stuff and you know when we do check with me so Newman called two plays and we'd look at stuff and him and I would communicate and you know I'm telling Delante something at the line of scrimmage I'm yelling stuff everywhere and you know and we come off the field and we're telling Walton what we're seeing to the point where he would start believing us and then as he's listening to us, it became more of a focal point. Like if it didn't work or something didn't work, it would become more towards Newman and I, where we would be the brunt of everything. So there's been times where I run over to the sidelines, like <clears throat> fourth and one, I'm telling him like, run this play, right, right behind me, this play, we're going to score and score and whatever. But sometimes the shit doesn't work. Um, you know, there'd be times where we'd go three and out where we shouldn't go three and out. And we come to the bench and coach Walton and his, beautiful sarcastic way would come over and clap to us and be like hey great job guys you guys are having a hell of a game and just turn around and walk away from us i'm like that son of a bitch. i'm like i get so mad i'm like all right he wants to see something and then you know <laughs> but i had i had that relationship with him that i i felt i had that trust with him being in the program for so long that he felt like he could lean on me and, and get the guys going on the offensive line or the offense you know he could really lean on newman if he wasn't sharp or not seeing the what he's seen so it, it was it took a long time to get there um and you know your story about Whaley starting over you when you couldn't come in in time Walton would play mind games with me Walton wasn't a yeller Rad was a yeller if he screwed up but if you correct him he goes hey you're right who has first guy out I do Rad okay good all right I'll keep going that was Rad right he tested you at any given time he would test you to see if everybody's on the same page Walton would do that as well, but here's what Walton would do to me. He would just tell somebody, he'd tell the offensive line coach, hey, put him in for Cleary the next series in practice. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I'm the, I'm a four-year starter. Like, what is going on here? Well, he would do that because I wasn't maybe practicing hard enough. I wasn't. So he would use me as someone to give a message, man, like, hey, if Cleary can get pulled, we all can get pulled. And I felt bad for the defense that we had to go against because someone was getting getting hurt someone's getting blasted <laughs> when i got back in there you know and shout out to the walkers i always went against them donald and dewan you know and they were fierce competitors and it got me ready to go especially my senior year they didn't stop and we'd always battle it out so shout out to the twins um shout out to the twins man. that's right Cong man. congressman and uh mayor uh yep. dewan and donald walker man looking forward to getting them on but I'm glad you said that, man, because that's very important. They would go hard. They did not stop. They gave it their all, man. Yeah, they did. And they, they were just as big as contributors to the programs. Even though they were not four-year starters, they were big contributors. And when they got an opportunity to get in the game, they made something happen all the sure. single time. And they, they never complained. They showed up. They worked their butts off. And, and, and that... Yeah, you could look at the Nate List, the Brian Dunn's, the Dante Payne's, you know, the Delonte Perk, and see the guys that have the stats and say that's, those are the guys that build it. But it's it's the guys that stick with you the entire time. You know, Trevor Lang never yep. saw the field. 
four-year guy that came with us, that stuck with us and will always be a part of the first class. And Trevor Lang always worked so hard to just get the team ready and just get an opportunity. And, and he did his senior year when, you know, he got into a few games and things like that, but he never quit. He never, you know, he knew what he had to do to get himself ready and get the team ready. And those are the, those are the guys that tell us from a good team to a great team because they pushed us. They, they, they battled us because as they're getting us ready, they're trying to open some eyes. They're trying to get coaches to see their improvement as well, because you know, if Donald Walker is going against me and he beats me three straight times on a pass rush, that's going to turn heads. You know, coaches are like, whoa, we got to get this kid in here now. You know, look what he's doing to Cleary. You know, and that's so a lot of these young players don't understand. It's like, it's a process sometimes. You, you can't be blessed to just walk on the campus and just start day one. You got to work sometimes. And, you know, thankfully we had a good group of guys that understood that, yeah, some of them were very blessed to step on the campus day one and be starters. And some of them, you know, were tested all throughout their career and you know <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize and you know not name dropper but jake newman didn't have a very successful 1995 season he didn't start every single game he had some injuries and then he was pushed by indy shrugs a lot during that season where there were some games where jake didn't even get in so i mean that just tells you you know the type of players that we had i'm so glad you said that too i've been stressing that in each and every interview recently man that I, the more and more I reflect, and, and I, I obviously, like I said, I got a very unique vantage point as far as being the one to do the interviews. So I get to go through the statistics pretty much every day. So I literally go through all the fact books from 2010 to 2018, because that's what's available online. And I just go through all the data to the point I don't want people thinking that I'm memorizing this stuff. It's just that I've gone over it so many times that I can spit certain people's stats from from memory yeah so um but yeah man um um and i know linemen don't get there just do you know uh as far as statistics and i want to make sure <laughs> as a former center and, and, and that uh you know shout out to the old line man i always have the utmost respect because i played center my senior year man but uh mm. yeah and, and and i think it's, it's important that like i said you stress the guys that did not get a lot of playing time that's why I'm interviewing as as many people from that 96 and 97 picture that we have, team yeah. picture. If you're in that picture, I'm trying to interview you because I'm so looking forward, for example, to interviewing Bobby Joe and, and, and Rush because they're going to be able to say things and tell stories that we don't know, you know, yeah. from their own vantage point. And so Marty Golosi, I look forward to having Addy on. Oh, my God, the stories that Addy is going to have, right? You wow. know, and so and so, yeah, alone, right? So <laughs> I, 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 I'm looking forward, man. So so, yeah, shout out to those guys, man. They did not see the field. Uh, know that you was again. You can look back and know that you played against some of the best competition in the country. Uh, definitely the best competition in, in in the conference, and that you know that's why you wear a championship ring like everybody else. So. Yep. Shout out to all those guys, you know, uh, it's about the team. So, yeah, man. So, Waynesburg, okay, let's get back. Let's get to little Timmy Hall, man. So, give me, what, what, why, what was so special about Tim? How good was Tim Hall? He was a different specimen in the most sincere, you know, way I can make it. I mean, he was on another level. He should not have been a Robert Morris. I mean, I remember, I, I believe he came late 
to camp in 94. Um, he only made it to the second scrimmage. I think he had like a couple of carries and I was at the, they shut him down after that. I mean, <clears throat> it was simple. It was like just a, we used to call them 16, 17 balls. We'd go to two tight ends. I was in there at the time and they give him the ball to the left, give him the ball to the right, give him the ball to the left, give him the ball to the right. And that was it. Done. And he almost had like probably 60, 70 yards on those four carries. And they're like, all right, pull him up. He's done. We're good. We know what he can do. And he started at fullback. Um, he wasn't the starting halfback. The starting halfback was actually Steve Tharp from Ohio against against Waynesburg. So, but we ran a lot of plays called lag draw trap pass where Tim would come flying out of the backfield into the quick flats and Jake would just float the ball to him and he turned the corner and there's nobody that wanted to step in front of Tim Hall. And he would just go down the sidelines untouched. And that was his bread and butter. And yeah, over time, you know, we started putting him in one back formations and let him just run wild. But man, I mean, he was, he was quiet. He didn't, he wasn't boisterous. You know, he celebrated with everybody. Like if, if you, if you have an opportunity to watch the Tim Hall celebrations, like he would get the ball, he'd give his little fist pump that he did it. And then he would just slowly walk back to the sidelines and then everybody would jump on him and celebrate. And that's, that's how Tim was. He wasn't boisterous. He'd never showboated. Um, he just, sometimes when in 95, when he started having big runs and he'd, he'd start doing the fist pump as he's going into the end zone, cause he'd be so excited. Like he did it. Like he put a lot of quiet pressure on himself to be great. And boy, did he deliver. He was an unbelievable player. Yeah, man. Any, any specific plays that stand out to you, man, from your, cause I, uh, I can't wait to put, like I say, Jake's <sighs> uh, in, uh, interview out because Jake, got a chance to see it from I told him the only human being on the planet that got to see from that vantage point how great Tim was and so I look forward to telling um, him um, telling some of them stories so from blocking for him what what was it, what plays that stood that stand out to you well when Tim because in 94 I started right tackle 95 I started left tackle but in 95 we were a hot mess and I can get into all that I played every position on the offensive line, every single game. But in 94, I remember we were playing last game of the year up at Mercyhurst, they're beating us. And shout out to, I think, Scott Benzel, who is now coaching at West Ministry, he coached Robert Morris. Um, <clears throat> he was playing free safety. And he remembers going up to hit Tim. And Tim, they thought they stopped him. And then he just out-muscled everybody as they're tackling him and just broke it off for a long run. And the unfortunate thing is, as a lineman, you don't get to watch like Jake does, you know, hand it off and get to be a fan. Like, you block, and it's that... The, the crowd is when you know you did something good, especially those early years when you had, you know, four to five, six, seven, eight thousand people at a home game. You, I've never had that many people. I'd have like 200 people at my home games in high school. You go to that like first Duquesne game and have that many people. But yeah, I mean, there was, as Walton started realizing, even as I got older and heavier, <clears throat> he would have a play called Toss Crack where he'd bring like Delonte down, hit the ML line scrimmage and have a pool. And it's what the Packers, with Bart Starr was known for. So I would do that and I would become like a lead blocker for Tim. And I just remember him always put my hand on my back and then I would just go and hit somebody and he was gone. That's all he needed just to get in someone's way. And unbelievable hands, unbelievable acceleration. Um, I think um, he was probably the reason why we created the thud drill in defense and offense when the ones would go together or whatever. Because imagine being that guy that tackled Tim Hall and took him out for the year. Yeah. You would you would be banned from football for life in all in the entire country. You <laughs> make sure you never play again. So it was always a thud drill for defense, right? I always feel bad for defense. Like how are we gonna learn how to tackle? And it's like 
you know, Nate, Nate never would do the thud. He would just two-hand touch, let you go. And the same thing with Don and things like that. Dante would thud the hell out. He didn't care. He wanted to hit somebody. Same thing with Wesley Johnson, things like that. And, but, you know, that, that's the, the competitive nature. But, you know, it's he was a special human being that could just go at any given time. And I just remember... It might have been 94. Not sure. Um... They showed his highlight on ESPN. He broke it like a 90-yard touchdown run unbroken. Like he, he made one guy miss and went down the sidelines untouched. And it was just, he was so incredibly fast for how big he was. And I just remember they showing that highlight on us because, I mean, we did have a lot of press that first year. You know, when you have a first-year program with Walton Rad, yeah, we're, you know, Walton was in magazines and things like that. And then all of a sudden, like, ESPN 2 is there to do live interviews with us, do shows. And I remember we were undefeated going up to Wagner and we're walking across campus and, Yes, there was a lot of people pissed at us and welcoming Joe back and screaming at us. And it's a very hostile environment. But ESPN2 had a camera on us walking across campus. I'm like, this is not going to go well. And that was that's the only game I know that I got my ass kicked. And I that seems like everybody has said that. That 94 Wagner game was, whew, we're playing men that game. But Tim still had probably almost 200 yards rushing, single-handedly. Almost destroyed them himself. But, you know, he, he was something unbelievable. And... You know, 95, what he did to Duquesne. And, uh, boy, you know, he still holds the FCS record for the, um, you know, most yards per attempt. You know, he's still number one in the country. Oh, wow, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Shout out to the late, great Tim Hall. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I, I say, and I think nobody would disagree with me, the greatest Robert Morris football player of all time. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. It impact is in two years the numbers he put up you know the fact that he's still third all time in rushing and what he did in two years is two years incredible two years if it took guys four years to beat him yes yeah man so um yeah shout out to the late great tim hall um man so yeah what else you remember from that 94 year man because again you you you're one of the ones that you know, in the thick of it all, man, it, it part of that story. What else do you remember from that that first year? Um, I, I remember the Duquesne game, just like everybody else, you know, 8,000 plus there, undefeated, going against Duquesne. Um, <clears throat> and as a player, you don't really realize and you don't necessarily turn around and look how big the crowd is. You know, you're into the game, you know, you come off, you get on the bench, you talk, and, and it, I really didn't notice how loud it was or how many people, because I mean, you're, you're out on the field and you're a little bit more isolated. Yeah, it gets a little loud, but it's still hearing the calls. It's not, it's not that difficult. But I remember sitting on the bench and, you know, Tim's doing well, but Rob is killing him again. He's killing him again. He's they're running that cover too. He's destroying them because it's safety staying it over top. He's too big, too fast. And, and I just remember, I'm like, man, this is a fun game. And I just, someone tapped me on the back. And they're like, oh, keep it going, Clary. And I turn around and look and it's a fan. Like this, the fans were so packed. They put people, they let people walk along the track and there were people standing behind our bench on our, you know, and I'm like, what's going on here? And then you like, you sort of like, you're, you're like looking around like, my God, look how many people are here. And then you don't realize how big it was until you see the picture, standing room only, you know, Duquesne's right down the road. So, you know, that to me, that was always a big thing. And then, you know, going seven, one and one was just unbelievable um, for us. We thought... You know, and I've heard everybody else say, we thought we should go to the ECAC Bowl our first year. They took Wagner. Wagner beat us. Wagner went six and four. 
I want to remember this. Wagner went six and four, but beat us. And then I think Wagner lost or, or won the ECAC bowl that year. Um, now they didn't, Wagner didn't have Rick Cirilli at the time. I'm going to say a name and it's going to be, uh, see if these old heads with me understand this. Tito Lockwood was a man at running back. He's about 6'2", 240. And they run this counterplay at Wagner. And he would just run over everybody. And you couldn't stop him. The linemen were so big, they got in everybody's way. They were, it was such a slow developing play. And then as soon as he got past the line of scrimmage, I mean, he would fall forward for seven, eight yards. And, you know, they, they just grinded us down on defense. They ran the... So for those that are historians that know defense in the NFL, the Bears had a very successful defense in the NFL in 95, or excuse me, 85, where they put the defensive end out wide. They put a linebacker safety over the tight end, and they would just have that defensive end come crashing in. Wagner would do that. They would call that the odd bear. They'd cover the center and two guards. Wagner would do what they call an even bear. So really what they would do, take the defensive end, bump them out, have the outside linebackers or safeties, depending on what their coverage was to that side, and that those defensive ends would just come crashing in. So it just destroyed everything we tried to do. Pass rush was just too much. And they would blitz off that. And, you know, that's why Wagner would start destroying us all the time because we we didn't know how to block that. We didn't know how to stop that. And then when you got a guy that's lining up seven yards away from me at 245 pounds, crashing in as hard as he can, and I'm 215, and I'm like, he's going to win every single time. I, I, I can't stop him. And then, you know, but, yeah, I mean, 94 was a blur. I just, I just remember, like, it was just a big blur. It was a lot of fun. Those road trips, I've never been on road trips before, taking those default buses everywhere, you know, going up to uh, Central Connecticut State, being on the bus for 12, 13 hours, people missing on the bus, waiting for people, um, the horrible box lunches afterwards, you know, it just having fun and laughing and it helped the win. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, those were great moments because, you know, you're like, okay, I got to keep doing this for the next couple of years where I need to bolt buses. This is going to be awful. Man, I'm trying to picture the kind of food, man, because I know them Subway sandwiches all senior year, boy. I was like, oh my God, enough already. But yeah, man, what what what, what kind of, what, what, like, do you remember any, any of that kind of stuff? Like what, what, what were y'all eating? And because I know y'all ain't have no budget. <laughs> no, we didn't have any budget. It'd be like a, a, a can of soda or a pop, however you want to call it, wherever you're from. And then like a cookie, a bag of chips and a sand- and one little sandwich. You get them playing like three, four hours and I'm exhausted. I'm hungry because you eat breakfast, you play during lunch, you get done, and you're back on the bus by 4:35 o'clock. You're like, I'm starving, and then like, here's your sandwich. I'm like, this is awful. <laughs> See, but the, the thing about it is, is the defensive bus was the cool bus, and we'll get into those stories afterwards because yeah. defensive bus had Harper, Rage, Rad taking apart the VCR, trying to put the game film on, Dante yep, yelling yep. at him. You guys are playing cards, having fun. We had, we had Walton, which we still had a good time. We would drink and, you know, with the O'Connell family, shout out to, you know, Uncle Mo and, and OC's dad that always made sure we had food and drinks as we got older when OC was there. But we had the AD and his wife on a bus with us every road trip. So oh it got to the point. It got, it got to the point. Oh, like, that's sick. So you, you know how we were welcome on the bus? She would bring a tray of cookies, and God love her soul, you know, Bruce Corey and his wife. She'd bring cookies like like a sweet mom and say, great job, guys, great win. And cookie? What do you say? Yes, thank you, ma'am. And then you'd just be polite. And then by that time, you know, you start going, maybe a couple drinks in you and stuff like that. And the next thing you know, people are yelling and screaming and fighting, you know, having fun. 
you know, but not to the degree defense did. Is that? Because <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this: I finally was able after the Georgetown game, and I know I'm bouncing around everywhere all these goddamn stories. But that after Georgetown, you know, my dad was there. I had the trophy with me again, and then drinking with my dad and things like that. One's like, "All right, come on, we got to go, we got to go." And I remember getting on the bus. I'm like, "Hey, coach, can I go ride on defensive bus?" He's like, yeah, go ahead. I had a bottle of Southern Comfort. Jason and I love, Jason Spencer and I love Southern Comfort. So I went into the back, started drinking. I've never seen anything like this on the defensive bus, how you guys <laughs> were. Oh my God. Dante Payne yelling at Rad at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm drinking, I'm doing shot for shot with Spencer in the back. One of the walkers drinks it with us. He gets sick because of the bus moving. So he's, you know, he's laying down on the on the thing. People playing cards. People yelling. It's like a party. And then like, you know, on the offensive bus, everybody's just sleeping, being quiet. I'm like, man, boy, did I miss this for four years? This is, oh, this is crazy. Yo, man, that's so funny that you mentioned all that. Like, yes, I don't even because I didn't drink any of that, but just I knew, boy, just the thought of being on that offensive bus. Oh hell no. <laughs> That didn't want no part of that, dude. Oh, well, the funniest thing was, is like, I'd sit in the back. Adam Thurman would sit next to me. Newman would sit in front of me. Um, and he have his own seats. And the two people that sat next to each other always fought in a f most fun way. Ty Ali, Keith Stewart. <laughs> Going at it. <laughs> Keith Stewart, you know, shout out to him he was a four-year guy too he's he was maybe 5 10 240 he was a two you know i think a two-year starter left guard we called him kooky and he would get on the bus and ollie would always have the window seat and kooky would always have the aisle seat and he'd be like hey pumpkin head and he's like hey midget and it would go 12 hours <laughs> back and forth next to each other the whole time and it was just oh, funny God. to the point and where they, you know hey they dead. wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> no no, because it was expected. It was funny. It kept everybody loose. We're all laughing. And the next thing you know, they're like laying on top of each other, like sleeping because like, you know, we're leaving at three o'clock in the morning from campus. Right, Go to Central right. Connecticut State. Oh, God. Hey, man, yeah, man, they talk about them long ass bus rides, man. No. 13 hours, man. Like, and people, y'all got to understand, man. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're young, yes, but we're, we're, you know, as a football player, you're never not hurt. You're never not hurt. Something is always hurting. And oh, yeah. what separates us from a lot of people is you have to have a relationship with pain and discomfort. I was trying to describe to my wife, like, you, I said, Can, I wish I could just put a football uniform, full uniform, take job, everything. You know, on somebody. That would be a hell of a, a amusement ride, man. And I told somebody, you know, as far as uh, the, the greatest uh, um, virtual reality ride would be something realistic from quarterback, middle linebacker, and I said kickoff returner. Those three alone is the greatest roller coaster ride. <laughs> I'd have loved to middle put a camera on, Dun on Dunn's helmet or punt return to see what he saw every single time. Yeah, man. Yes, because I mean, kickoff kick return, you have that buffer. But like punt, they kick a high punt. Woo. I mean, yeah. that's that's scary. But yeah, I don't know if you heard Corey Oakes' interview, man. But, I haven't. Uh, I've been working through it, man. I mean, so many yeah. of them. I love them all. Corey, man, Corey gives probably one of the best descriptions of not 
their experience of kickoff return or return the kick, but understanding the psychological fearlessness because he was hit by a car at age seven. Mm. I'm talking about his head. So his head swelled. So the internal, and, and man, it's wait till you hear Corey Oak's story. Man, <laughs> his story is so crazy, dude. <laughs> like, 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 uh, I don't know if you heard from the other interviews. He hit a home run as a 12 year old out of Three River Stadium. That is crazy. As a 12 year old, Roberto Clemente's sons were there when he did it. That is yeah, insane. Yeah, man. So <laughs> you got to, so Corey knows what it feels like to be hit by a car and see the car hit him. Yeah. Right? So this idea of blinking right before contact, he doesn't understand it. Because he said the hardest I ever had been hit in my life is age seven at, by a car. So when he describes that, like, so he said, uh, like, oh, you got, I, I'll let you wait, let you enjoy right. that, that <laughs> story, man. But yeah, man. So, so, uh, uh, um, the buses, we talk about the buses, man. Uh, talk about uh, um, freshman year, sophomore year, expectations. Tim Hall is coming back, got one more year. Uh, 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 you guys are riding high, high uh, uh, so but things did not go as well. And everybody mentions Red not being there, ninety-five man. But describe ninety-five man, and what was what were some of the challenges? Why did y'all do so well? Well, so ninety-five. I mean, the obvious thing is because Rad's not there. But shout out to Lance Mel, love that guy. Still, when we had the you know celebrating Rad's life, he was right there. We we shared so many stories. He loves us like sons like we we share so many robert moore stories jet stories about rad but anyways let's look at 94 versus 95 and i know that we want to say about defense about losing rad and that's a huge thing because he's starting to come into his own he's starting to trust the players and then now we have our mad scientist gone replaced by one of his former players he still did a heck of a job i was the only returning offensive lineman we had to replace four offensive linemen our number one wide receiver rob frazier's injured he's gone our number, our best tight end, Greg Bussey, leaves. So now Drew Dorsey's now the number one tight end. Um, so we have a starting quarterback, two starting. We have no re no returning starting wide receivers. They're all gone. Um, backup tight end is now the starting tight end. One offensive lineman returning, two running backs, and a quarterback. That's it on the offense. So while we look at maybe statistically, that's probably one of our worst years offensively. We had to replace a lot of people. So I started at left tackle. I believe Adam Thurman came in and he started as a true freshman, maybe weighing maybe 200 pounds at center. But they started moving guys on from defensive line to offensive line during camp just to try to put together an offensive line. And it didn't pan out. We had a lot of struggles along the front. Um, there was a lot of games where either Jake or Andy would throw a lot of interceptions because of pressure, got sacked a lot of times. I mean, we were a hot mess along the front. Um, There's a lot of growing pains. And thankfully, we were in a lot of those games because of Tim Hall. I mean, there was only one game that we got our ass kicked, and that was against Townsend the first time we played them, up at Townsend. Um, but uh, other one of the games is maybe by less than, you know, three or, or less points. And then, you know, while we went six and four, I thought, and we all thought, because we beat Wagner, we were down, you know, by 16 to Wagner, 16 nothing. We, we scored 18 straight points you know, to win in a mud bowl <clears throat> against Wagner. Um, 
shout out to the defense. He gave up 200 yards rushing to Keita Lockwood, but only held Rick Cerilli to 60 yards. So I, I looked at the stats because I wanted to see when when did when did Cyril did sort of start becoming hit himself against Robert Morris, and that wasn't until our junior year. But yeah, uh, man, yeah, well, what a bad human that person was. Yeah, um, we, we gonna get we gonna get oh, into him. We will get yeah. into him. Um, but anyways, yeah. It, so we beat them. So they had a better record than us, but we beat them. So we thinking like, hey, '94, we had a better record that we lost to them. They went. They were six and four. They went to the bowl game. Well, we beat them. They had a better record. We should go. They took Wagner and said, and then this time Wagner won the ECAC Bowl. And we're like, this is cool. So there was a lot of turnover. You know, it was it was the birth of Delonte Perkins in that first game. I think he caught three touchdown passes. He ended the season with four. So they couldn't get him back into where they wanted to fit him. Because I remember people talking about he came in as a running back. He was so incredibly fast. And, you know, they, they put him a wide receiver. He had good hands, not great hands. He had good hands, but so they run little stops for him. He just turned and just run past everybody because he was so incredibly fast, fastest guy on the team. Um, but our offense, our offense just wasn't clicking. And I'll be the first one to say it. Our offensive line was a hot mess. When you're playing, I mean, there was one game we played up again and we lost. Um, that game, I started at left tackle, then second quarter, I'm playing left guard, then third right guard and they're just trying to shuffle people in to just say block this guy block this guy so it was a hot mess and then so no matter if you if newman got hurt it's because of us if he got concussions it's because of us in 95 we were horrible and uh nothing against those guys it's just they were trying to put pieces in to fit that just didn't fit because it's it's a huge offense to grasp and it just didn't pan out but you know um you know funny story is that while we're still waiting for the birth of the NEC, the NEC was still there in track. So my season, <coughs> excuse me, my season would go this. Football season would end. Indoor season was already started. I should be doing indoor season, but the coaches would say, okay, go finish football season. I get one week off. So I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm on campus, come in in August, do football camp, do the football season, get one week off to recover. Then I start track. Track comes and goes, mix in spring football, whatever the hell we, we would do during spring football lifting in the morning, do whatever. And then everybody would leave campus. I'm still on campus for track for at least another couple of weeks. So by the time I get home, it's June. So I have 90 days maybe to work out to get ready for football camp while working a job to have money so I have spending cash. So that was my four years. So while people are going on spring break, people are enjoying a summer vacation, I never had it. It was, and it was my decision. I loved it. I would not change anything. It, it taught me time management. It taught me how to be responsible, how to make sure I had things done. So I go to practices and stay eligible. So, you know, but I, I will say this track transformed a lot of players at Robert Morris football. Delonte ran it. Tim Hall ran it. Now I remember, I think it was 19, yeah, I believe it was 1995. <clears throat> Tim Hall was working out for the combine, doing his stuff he's doing, but he's also running in track meets. You had Tim Hall running anchor in the four by one. You had Delonte Perkins running the second leg, the longest leg. And you had a couple of other football players and forgive me if I can't remember their name running. I mean, they set the record for the conference in four by one. These are football players who maybe worked out maybe a month before the meets and they were setting conference records by how fast they were. And then you're like, well, there goes an NFL wide receiver on the second leg, and here comes the NFL running back closing it out. You're like, how do you compete with that? And that's, you know, that's just how incredibly athletic these players were. And 
you know, credit for Coach Walton and Rad for letting these guys do that instead of just putting the clamps on them and saying, go be an athlete. If you want to go do track, it's only going to help you be better. So that's what they did. And, you know, that's 95 was tough, but we all grew up from that a lot, a lot for the guys that were still there because it was a wake up call. Like Tim's gone. Now what? Now what do we do? So and it was guys like listening to Ralph, guys ready to step up, right? Working out even more, knowing that more is going to be on their shoulders, right? We had to do the offensive line. We had more Kemper guys coming in. Mm -hmm. And then we also had guys that played defensive line that we had to get ready for offensive tackle. Deodas, pal. But yeah, I mean, I remember when, you know, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, just that transition from Deodas from defensive tackle hey, to tell left it, goal. Tell it, tell it, go ahead. I remember, listen, I, so I remember in 1996, there was a lot of questions on who was going to play where. Rob, Rob was making that transition to tight end. He had to learn how to really block, put his hand on the ground. Big transition for him. Um, Delonte cemented himself. Now here comes a young, spunky wide receiver with a lot of swag from New York. Freddie Parker. How does he fit in? More taller, looks like a young Rob out there. You know, maybe not as fast, but just unbelievable hands. So we're starting to come together, right? We have, you know, Kevin Neal at right tackle. He's from South Carolina. He's a transfer in, just playing one year. Quiet, just strong as can be. You know, Kuki's at left guard now. They try to put me at center. Didn't work out. Um, they just kept me at guard. And then they're trying to find a left tackle, trying to find a left tackle. Well, they were going to move Diotis to left tackle. So we're probably in the last week of camp. And then I remember them coming up to me going, Brian, can you work with Yotas and go over the playbook with him and just study him up on what he has to do? So every night, Yotas would just, him and I would just go over stuff. And it wasn't trying to teach him what Walton would do, want, like the different calls. And like, how, how can you remember this? Like, oh, if you hear this, just go down here, right? And hit the first person you see. If you see this, you got this guy out here. So, you know, so it was just trying to make it simple. His head was swimming so much. I mean, you're coming from Kemper. You're coming all the way to Pittsburgh. You're a defensive tackle. You're into rotation. Next thing you know, they go your left tackle, and you're starting, and you got to get ready. I mean, that's a lot to take on as a young player, especially when you're living from that far where you're at. So, you know, and he and don't know if you remember this guy. He was a transfer in. His name was Lonnie. He was he was a defensive end. His name was Lonnie. I can't remember his last name. Oh, Lonnie Lewis. Hey, shout Lonnie, out to Lonnie because Lonnie, Lonnie. Is, uh, I, Lonnie's agreed to be interviewed, man. I'm getting him on. So I don't think Lonnie was eligible to play. I don't know what the circumstance was, but Lonnie went against uh, a Diotis every single practice and kicked Diotis's ass. Lonnie would have been an All-American, probably next person in the NFL. He was a monster, but he destroyed Diotis. So when Diotis got in the game, Diotis destroyed everybody. So shout out to him because, again, Easily could have came to Robert Morris. I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to play. Don't know what the circumstance was, but he was out there just destroying Diotis, just getting him ready to the point where Diotis became an All-American. His first year playing left tackle was an All-American. I mean, it was yep. a huge shout out to Lonnie because those are the guys that make the players. Yeah, Diotis put in a lot of work in, did a lot of study. The guys that push him to be better. And boy, I'm he was- you, Clary, I'm gonna tell you why that, why again, coming from you, I'm going to tell you, that holds a lot of weight, especially when it comes to O-line and D-line, because me and Lonnie have spoken, and he's looking forward to telling um, the story about his eligibility with the NCAA mm -hmm. and what the issues were. And me me and Lonnie got a story for y'all. Y'all going to be <laughs> laughing. So, dude, something that me and Lonnie went through, <laughs> we can't wait to tell this crazy ass, because when Lonnie told his girlfriend, 
she was just like, that's not real. You're like, yes. And I got on the phone and I told my part and they just like, you got to tell this story. So we're going to tell that one. But yeah, like you said, shout out to Lonnie Lewis, man. Um, I mean, he NFL ready. D one six five two eighty. Nobody fat. <laughs> no. Freaking nature, man. Yeah, man. And what we also had Darnell Gardner as well. Yes, sir. Too. Absolute gazelle, man. Like just yeah, I, I remember Gardner at Kemper at, at strong safety. I want you to remember Gardner came in as a strong safety. That's a yeah. big ass strong safety. And he could run mm-hmm. like one too. I mean, because they shift his defensive line. He could still run. Yep. He, he did a speed rush. You can't block him. Done. No, not at all, man. I, you know, shout out to Gardner. Me and him competed in ninety uh uh in ninety-six for that that right end position. Boy, we we battled for it. So uh uh yeah, man. So who was who your favorite deep defense alignment to go to? Well, who, who, no, oh, let me say it like this. What <laughs> deep line, what defense alignment you say gave you problems as far Jason's, as on, Jason, Jason Spencer. Spencer? So, to how the point good of, with Jason, man, man, people don't realize how good Jason Spencer was. His hands were unbelievable. You look at him walking and he looks like he has a stick up his butt and he, like, he's just like a <laughs> big country goofy white boy and he's funny, super incredibly smart in the classroom. But like it's just something that flips the switch when he puts his hands in the dirt and his hands were so unbelievably good at just swatting you down or picking your hands up, doing stuff that the NFL players do today. He was doing that and it was just so effortlessly, but he would just swat the hands away. And then it got to a point and I not again getting ahead of myself but getting to a point in 97 and shout out to mike cortez who taught us a lot about practicing it's called the buddy system all right (laughs) here's the buddy system we would do nine on seven right offensive nine versus the front seven on the defense and when the ones would get together i don't want to kill you i don't want to hit nate i don't want to hurt the starters they don't want to hurt me but no one wants to look bad so I would look in, you know, in 4-3 stack and across from me at right tackle would be someone like, you know, Cortez. And, you know, we just look at each other. We know. So we'd go and hit each other and just make all the sounds like we're just like a stalemate between us both. Because he looks good if he stands up a right tackle. I look good if I'm still working on my block and the running back gets through. So it's a win-win. So we, we developed the buddy system. So fast forward to 97. I'm at right tackle. Spencer's going against me, a left defensive end. And we would do pass rush drill, and they're taping it and things like that. Well, it always seems like when Spencer and I would go against each other, Rad would make his way over, and so would Walton's, because they'd want to see us go against each other. And we're like, okay, here they are. I'm like, all right, Spencer, you got the first one. Because we'd always go twice against each other, then you rotate out. I'm like, you got the first one. So I go to pass set, and like he'd hit me, and my foot would slip out. I'm like, oh, God. And he, they're like, and Rad's like, great job, Spencer. And then like Spencer's like, all right, your turn. And then, like, Spencer would come up, try to do a move, and then I'd stuff him and just, like, move my feet and things like that. And he's like, oh, my, oh. And Rad and Walton's like, good job, Clary. Yeah, and it's just like, all right, you get one, I get one, and then we just go about our day, and that's it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Hey, dude, I can't wait for folks to hear that one. Oh, that's hilarious, bro. That but, is but, hilarious. But when we would go into scrimmages, we knew that this was the time where we had to get ready for a game. This is – you know, game-like situation. So, but he was tough to move. He was tough to, you know, pass block. Um, and someone else, to, hard to get a, a hat on hat was Nate List. He was so incredibly smart where he would know when to get underneath, you know, go underneath you or go over top of you or swim you. I mean, he was just so much instinct naturally on what to do. 
And, um, you know, th those are the two guys that were really tough to block in game-like situations. And I, and I think in all four years when we would go goal line live, I don't think we ever scored. I don't think we ever scored goal line against you guys. Just because, oh, I mean, it's just, because, I mean, it's just, we couldn't, uh, we just didn't have, uh, you know, Nate would come flying in or Dunn would come flying in or someone off the edge like Payne or Wesley or somebody would just come flying in unblocked and just thud somebody, right? Because we weren't doing still tackling. It was just a big thud. So they give it to Ralph or somebody and here comes Payne like thudding him and then they fall backwards and then, oh, here comes the shit talking. Here comes it. I got a story <laughs> about Dante Payne. He didn't talk about Go ahead, tell it, tell it right now. Go ahead. I don't want you to forget it. Go ahead and tell it. So we were in 1996. We, 96, I can't remember. Uh, let me think here. 94 up there. Yeah. So 1996, the year when we were doing the no, no, no score streak. We're, so one of the things that a lot of players or people might not know is that we not only did an offensive system, offensive practices, but we did also offensive captains, excuse me, NFL practices, NFL you know, situations, but NFL type of captains. We didn't have captains that were named the entire year. So based on their performance or situations, right? And Walt would told me this afterwards, like if it was a big game, he wanted me to be a captain because he wanted big players out there to be a little bit more intimidating. Up at 1996, um, Central Connecticut State had a running back named Stan House, really, really good in the conference. First year in the conference, we're doing well. We had the, uh, the non-scoring streak, you guys are, are doing really, really well on defense. We just had to score one touchdown. That was it. And, you know, easy as pie. But so they put the three captains up top with their back to the other team. Dante's in front of me. And we start doing our little chants, like having fun and stuff like that. And then somebody on the other team says loud enough going, man, I didn't know we're playing a bunch of cheerleaders today. I'm like, and I just closed my eyes. I went, oh, shit. Dante turns around and he goes, I don't know about any devils, but someone's about to get killed up in this. And I'm like, oh, Dante walks <laughs> over the 50-yard line. And then we just start walking with him. And he is ready to just <laughs> go after somebody. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, why? Why would you wake up the beast? <laughs> Robert Morris is a sleeping giant. If you don't talk to us, we will just go through the motions, no big deal. It took one player to talk during the game, talk shit to someone, do something cheap, and it was over. Now we're coming for blood. They decided to do it in pregame to Dante Payne, of all people. God love Dante Payne. I still tell this story to this day. He would say, Clary, my goal every year heading into camp is to weigh 187. That's what I want in the, in, the, in the thing. I was like, you are a clown, man, because I lived, with Dante. I lived next to Dante for three years in, in dorms. Him and oh, wow. Delonte, man, so much fun with them. We had a great time. But, and then after that, you know, when you look back on the highlights, that was probably one of the most vicious games defensively with hitting. I mean, it was, they try to run reverses. Guys, offensive line from their team are flying everywhere. Cheap shots, you guys are just blasting. I'm like, man, this is an Archie, of course, going off on them. And, yeah. and I remember, and that was the game they scored. <laughs> it's, and we're still in that process in 96 even in 97, where we have players, but we don't have the depth we should as a championship team. So I, I just remember we got pulled out of the game. We're all talking. Rad hands a piece of paper to Harper or Rach or someone like that, and then he leaves. Rad just disappears. So we're sitting there talking, and I remember Rach or someone comes up to me and goes, hey, Clary, do you want to punt? 
I'm like, they're like, you're the backup punter. Do you want to go in and punt? I'm like, I got my shoulder pads off. Let Longo punt. He's, he's doing a great job. So they do a pump block. They hit Longo. <laughs> they crush him. I'm like, man, that could have been me. Oh, my God. I would like, and then <laughs> the, de- you know, the defense comes out and then we're sitting there just hanging out and all of a sudden the defense is out there and all of a sudden you hear behind us goes "Eh, what defense they call we turned around on the other side of the fence because he's this smart all right people don't realize this on the other side of the fence is rad not on the sidelines for ncaa violations he's got his cleveland brown umbrella he's got a hot dog in one hand he walked up to the concession stand during the middle of the game Walked up to the concession and had a hot dog and a cigarette. And it's asking what defense to call. And sitting there talking to us while smoking a cigarette. Patty almost lost her mind. And like he's like, I'm on the other side of the fence. And I'm like, bad. And then, you know, they end up scoring. It was like a celebration. Like Central Connecticut. And they made the announcement. This is the first point Rob Morris has led up all year. And it's like, now all the starters are pissed. We're pissed at the starters. <laughs> it's like, this is bull. Like, we could have set an NCAA record for not giving up points the whole year. But it's like, you know. But yeah, that was just a wild, wild story. I remember from Dante leading into Rab, but that's just the characters we had on the team. Man, let me tell you something that you you don't remember because Dante had a hit that game against the quarterback. Um, he was a golden hair, long hair dude, and um, he rolled out towards Dante. And I just remember one of the loudest collisions, man. He knocked Dante knocked this quarterback for Central Connecticut to stay out that game. And I just remember Dante got up, did his little pause, and then, <laughs> ah! and then like, oh my God. I mean, I was just like, woo. But I remember that. Yeah, the chant and, and the guys responding, but we were a bunch of cheerleaders. Yeah, that was that that was special, man. But yeah, I also remember giving up that that touchdown, man. That that was that was sick, man. That that hurt. That that absolutely hurt, man. But we jumped from uh, 96. Let's go back to Oh no! Yeah. I guess we're done with '95, but I want to go into '96. So yeah, let's do it. I, I'm, 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 uh, transfer in. Uh, uh like I, I tell people, Kelly Pierre. Shout out to Kelly Pierre. Yeah. Picked me up at the airport, man, and uh, ended up at camp. I remember the swag, the energy. I'm like, this is different than Robert Morris. You know, what I'm saying I'm pointing out my camper dudes. I'm looking at how everybody's doing things, and you know, I'm trying to fit in, what have you, and uh. What do you remember about our junior year, man? That first championship year, going into camp. Well, I just, I, I just remember just a lot of confidence, even without Tim Hall. You know, Piante's well gone, but we had new, you know, f- you know, CC's already in there. Diotis, you know, is gone. He got hurt in '95, but you know, new guys coming in like you. You know, we had new talent coming in. Archie Wanamaker coming in. Shout out to the Outlaw. Just a unbelievable talent clown, funny guy. You know, Ralph is coming into his own, you know, John Hepler, you know, that I've known since high school, you know, that we played against each other in high school. And then, you know, he's, you know, a lot of guys really come into their own. Things started clicking. Like Nate said, defense started clicking for him. Offensively, we started clicking. Um, we, we've, you know, in 96, you know, we had a great offensive line, you know. Um, I remember, you know, that first game up in Mercyhurst, I had a buddy that played, it was funny, Going up to Mercy Harris in 1996, it was their grand opening of the brand new state, uh, their brand new uh, stadium. And I remember playing that game, and I'm like, I am not losing this because the guy I'm going against, his name is Lou D'Ambrosio. 
and Lou lived two houses away from me, and he was my starting right guard when I was quarterback. And now oh, I'm blocking wow. him. So he was two years <laughs> younger than me, so I'm blocking him. So it was, it was just really funny. And I just, I remember in that game in 1996, our offense is clicking. And I just remember, like you see in the game, you know, there's this little bitty, not little bitty, but there's this guy near the our sideline, but out on our sidelines, all in dress clothes, it's Hank Fraley. He was a prop 48 at that time. He couldn't play. They were going to pencil him in. I probably right. left tackle, moved Yotas to left guard, but he didn't pan out with NCAA clearinghouse, so he had to sit out a year and lose a year. But anyways, I just remember that game. We started running the ball a little bit. Archie and Ralph started having some success, and Delonte started doing so well catching the ball. Like Now, instead of just saying, hey, go deep or go short and turn around, but now he's running patterns to the inside. He catches the ball. He starts you know, using his momentum to hit backwards with a safety hits him in the hip. He has a hard time getting up. He's done for the game. Now we lose our number one wide receiver. And I just remember, you know, it's a tough game. Nate List, of course, like Nate List, Mr. Highlight, picks up that fumble, goes untouched like 90-some-odd yards to put us up like 20-nothing, and that was the end of the game. We just wore out the clock. 